Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, December 12th, 2014. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about automated front-end testing with RSpec, Capybara, Poltergeist, and PhantomJS. Spooky. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Guess what I'm wearing right now? Um, guess what you're wearing right now? Yeah, that sounded weird. Yeah, I don't think it's a bottle of, of Woodford Reserve. It is not. It is a pair of <laughs> wireless Logitech headphones. Oh, yes. From yeah. from the list. Yes, from the list. My birthday's coming up and I already, someone already, my uh, mother-in-law actually already sent me not just the Logitech wireless headphones, but also that, um, that long-named backup battery that you recommended the battery backup yeah mm-hmm. yes which i've already <laughs> nice. used a couple times it's really it's really good oh cool yeah i hear george yeah the the uh, guy who picks up the dog poop is here ah uh. they don't like people stealing their poops i <laughs> can't blame them i'd get a little weirded out if someone came into my house never mind <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing down there yeah well then again i do have to pay the guy every few years to come clean out the septic tank so yeah same difference we just do it do it weekly right anywho (laughs) a couple housekeeping items to talk about Mm -hmm. we've got uh oh um i was supposed to do a live redesign of my site on december 11th which at the time of this recording was yesterday uh, but that got postponed because my co-pilot at O'Reilly had some kind of family emergency. So um, if you registered for that, you probably got a rescheduled email. Uh, if you didn't register for it, you have another chance. So that is going to be sometime in January, although the date's not set yet. Are you going to leave your site naked until then? I couldn't. I didn't have the intestinal fortitude to leave it that way. So I, I put up just a, I've been working on type styles first. Because mm-hmm. that's so far out of my normal realm of things that uh, I was practicing it. And I, I couldn't take it anymore. So I put the type styles up on the site. But otherwise, there's no... I don't think there's any JavaScript at all other than possibly Google Analytics. Uh, it's just... I just added some uh, web font and it right, made me right. feel, feel a lot better. <laughs> um, so, let's see. That's the library design. Uh, a couple smartwatch updates. Yes. We have talked about the new Wythings Active A. Yeah, you were you couldn't keep time. I know, so irritating. So they had us uh, reboot it, <laughs> which sounds really funny because it, it is an analog face watch. Yeah. Uh, so we reset it to factory settings and try it again, and it was still losing time. So they're sending us a new battery, which uh, I guess makes sense. It could be the battery. Could so be. see if that's... Um, See if that's the case. That would be great if that solved the problem because Eric really loves the watch. Other, you know, as a piece of jewelry. Right. Uh, and also, a, and a fitness tracker, just just yeah. as a watch. She totally digs the. Um, it does sleep tracking, which she seems to be cool. really into. Uh, I, although I will say that I was also into that when I was wearing the Jawbone and uh, the Up Band, and it, it, it's cool mm-hmm. at first, but it kind of gets old after a while. Yeah, and then it's like it's just just illustrates how little sleep we actually get and just kind of makes you feel worse. Yeah, exactly. 
But uh, so we'll see how it goes, though. She's tried Fitbit and that didn't really, it got recalled. And there's just, this, all this stuff is so beta that it's just all kinds of problems. It's hard to make a wearable, evidently. Which is a nice segue into the fact that I'm getting a new pebble sent to me for free. Yet, yet again? <laughs> yet again. They're replacing your steel with another steel, correct? Yes, they are. Okay. So I had um, originally the, the Kickstarter pebble, that one. What was wrong with that one? Oh, it was had it had Bluetooth connection Bluetooth problems. Bluetooth connection, yeah. So, um, much to their credit, they sent me a new one, no questions asked. That was very nice. Which I then purchased. From yep, you. you you got that new one. Yep, and um, and then I bought a Pebble Steel, or well, that's why. Yeah, so I I bought a Pebble Steel, sent the plastic the the Pebble regular to you, mm-hmm. and then now my Pebble Steel is it started to have like all of a sudden started to have bad battery life and the screen gets all kinds of pixel noise uh. from time to time and uh, i reported that to them and they said uh so can you send us a uh, you know just a picture of it and i did and they were like yeah we're gonna send you a new one <laughs> so uh i mean they're they're great with that stuff yeah customer service is great yeah yeah love it it's like the it's like the lightsaber people the what? The the lightsaber people. I'd, I'd ordered four lightsabers from them, and three of them that I've gotten have been bad to start with, but they always replace them right away. And like one time they even sent us a free one, and it was, yeah. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> you need smartwatches or lightsabers. Yeah, there's nothing to worry about. If something goes wrong, you just get a new one. Cool. So that was just a couple of quick housekeeping items. Shall we move into the bug report? Uh, we can. I know you have one. I had one, but I can't remember what it is now, so mm. I, I lost it. Okay. Maybe if it comes to you, let me know. Yeah. Well, this one, this one is kind of kind of our bug. Yeah. This is so. This is one of those ones, dear listener, that we could not reproduce. And I was like, I'm like I am not gonna start coding stuff that might, like, yeah. Until we can reproduce it. So finally yesterday we were able to reproduce it. Uh, thanks to a, one of the people who had experienced the bug. Thanks to them sending in a video of the bug in action. And I cannot impress upon people how important and how useful it is to get either screen capture or a, 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 a screencast of you demonstrating a bug when you're reporting it to someone. Yes. It is. It just cuts through everything because they're... In, and especially in, you know, this is, case is another example. The reason I realized what the bug was or how to reproduce it had nothing to do with them demonstrating the bug. <laughs> no. It had to do with me noticing that they were using Safari on the desktop, which neither of us use. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe it's a Safari bug. And sure enough, it happens every time in Safari. Meanwhile, no one who had previously reported the bug mentioned what browser they were using. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Like it wasn't even just us. We had we had QA people. We had other people couldn't couldn't um, couldn't reproduce it because yeah yeah. A few people were like, oh, I saw it once, but I can't do it again because yeah. you probably had it open in Safari. Yeah, like I had it open in Safari for initial testing, and I thought yeah, and it, and it happened once, and I thought yeah, whatever random stuff happens every now and then, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and then I couldn't reproduce it again, so I just chalked it up to a random thing and went on. Yeah. Yep. Well, so here's the bug, and this is why it seems so weird and random. Um, we've got inside of the sticky albums or sticky builder, 
there is, you're on like this, you know, sort of, let's just call it a large web page. And it's got a form going down the left. And on the right hand side, there's like a preview of what of, of an iPhone. So like, um, on the left hand side, you're building a microsite. On the right hand side, you're previewing it live. And it, it tends to be the, the page that you're building that's being displayed inside of the preview it tends to get a little long and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's an iframe and you can scroll down, of course, to see the thing, but that's a little annoying. So what we do is as you're editing a field, the iPhone jumps to the, the thing you're editing. So you can see in real time, like as you're filling in like a paragraph description, you can see the, the words appearing on the right hand side. So you can tell if, you know, the line's too long or you want to, it doesn't look the way you want or whatever. And so weirdly on Safari, when you would uh, move between fields, the the parent page, if you're scrolled down in the parent page, the parent page would like scroll up to the top. Yeah, super annoying. Yeah, incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you're like typing and the page like jumps out from under you and you're like, wait, oh, wait, where am I? Yeah, yeah. So we're like plowing through the the javascript and like what you know is there any are there any calls to scroll to or you know any linking at all or focus events or like what is going on and uh turned out it's just a bug in safari yeah that uh if you if you if you load an anchor in an iframe yeah so explain how you were explain how we were doing the jumping in the iframe yeah we we um we had kind of I mean, I guess we had kind of just like thrown in a quick solution there to begin with and, and hadn't really, because uh, I remember at the very beginning, we were going to talk about a better way to do it, but we never got around to it. So basically we were, we were just, we were just loading an iframe. Every time the preview would update, the iframe would reload and go to whatever anchor it needed to go to. Right. So like internal, the, the page itself inside of the preview has like anchor right. tags internally. Right, because you have to reload that content. You can't just scroll to a particular place in the page because the content's always changing. Mm-hmm. So just weirdly, what appears to be happening is that when you reset the source attribute of an iframe in Safari on the desktop, if there's a fragment identifier at the end of the URL, the parent page tries to follow it. And of course, that doesn't exist in the parent page, so it jumps to the top. No. So, so the solution is super fun. The solution is really cool, and I had never heard of it before. I, I hadn't even heard of it before until you did it yesterday. Oh wow! So I've uh, it, the solution that we're using is called Post Message, and it's a JavaScript API that I've I've never had a reason to learn, and now all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is the perfect use for <laughs> for Post Message. So what Post Message does, it's pretty straightforward. I won't go into it too deeply, um, but. If you ha- if you have a parent page that has a reference to another window, and there's really only two ways to have that. One is if the parent page opened a child window using the open command, or you have an iframe embedded in the parent page. Which is uh, probably the more likely scenario. Presumably, yeah. At this stage. Right. So now if you have, uh, if those two um, two pages are on different domains, which is the case here, you can't talk directly to them. They can't talk directly because yeah. there's all kinds of security issues around that, that I still can't get my head around, even though when I, like when I read an explanation, I'm like, oh yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> um, but basically if somebody can get an iframe into your parent page, they can essentially get all of your, all of your information. Off. If, if they were yeah. on the same, do- diff- 
if they were on different domains, but they could communicate, then the one on the other domain would have JavaScript access to like your cookies and stuff. So the way post message works is it gets around that by um, essentially the one page, both pages can do it. But once, once you establish communication, uh, which you do, you know, so parent page gets a reference to, in this case, the iframe. So parent page says, you know, uh, whatever window get element by ID iframe selector. Um, and then a content window, I think Content window. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once you have that, then you can call, let's call that preview. You, you save that in a, a variable called preview. Then you can say preview post message and then open paren, put in a string, comma, domain of the other page, yep. close paren. And uh, when you go over to that other page, you just write a listener. <laughs> it's awesome. So you just listen on the other page for the message event. So, you know, jQuery, uh, or what, uh, I think you listen at the window level. So it's I like think so, yeah. window, window event on, right, window on message, run this function. And the function receives a message object, and the object has data, which is the first parameter that you pass from the parent page. And it ha um, and there's some other junk in there that uh, isn't relevant to us, so I can't remember it because I just yeah we just started using this, but but it's fabulous because you essentially what it allows you to do is pass parameters into a function in the other page and execute the function, which is exactly yeah. what we needed to do. Feels kind of like WebSockets, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it's not, but it kind of feels like it. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's, well, it's, it's not the same thing, but it feels really similar. And it's weird because Sockets really confuses me for some reason because it's server and client. But mm -hmm. this makes total sense to me because it's all client side. <laughs> and in fact, it's it really is all client side. Like you're not making a network request. It's not going through the server. It's the browser like looking at the JavaScript and, because the browser knows everything about both pages. And the browser is basically saying, okay, um, you have configured all of this JavaScript correctly to for this page to execute that function on that page. So it just does it on the front end. So it's not making like a round trip server side. So that was very cool. So if you, so if you are dear listener in a situation where you need to send commands back and forth between um, a parent page and a child page, whether it's uh, open or iframe and they're on different domains, post message is your solution. Yes. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, sweet. Oh, I had another. I have a, a quick bug report that's just funny, stupid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which was, um, uh, as I mentioned, I, I put, uh, I did put typography on my site because I couldn't stand the. Oh, right. Yeah. So this, this will tell this you, book. this will tell you how bad I am at typography. So my continuing quest to be, become a better designer through ty typography, learning typography. Um, I, it's just amazing how little I know about it. <laughs> so it, so I go I'm like oh all right I'm going to use Google fonts I found a combination for you know uh, uh what's it called display text like header mm -hmm. text and body text that I liked um and so I go in but I do it and then I'm like my my there's very few places on my site where I use uh definition lists DL yes and the definition title and definition description are the child tags inside of there and definition title is normally bold and, you know, by the browser generally makes it bold at, by, yeah. by default. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, so I'm like, I'm like, why aren't these bolding? So I'm like, oh, well, I'll just manually do it, you know, in the CSS. Maybe I'm like, maybe I remembered it wrong. Maybe I am remembering it wrong. I think they're bold by default, but maybe not. I believe they are. Um, so I go in and I'm like, you know, 
font weight bold. Like it's not doing anything. And I'm like, it took me like, it took me like 30 minutes to realize that the reason why it wasn't bolding was because I hadn't downloaded the bold version of the font I was using. <laughs> you weren't including the bold, yeah. the bold version. <laughs> right. So I'm like, it's, which illustrates that I never, it never in a million years occurred to me that the browser wasn't just making the text bold. Like just saying that now, I feel like an idiot. Like how's the browser <laughs> just supposed to make the text bold? Just guess, like just make it blurry, spill some water on it. <laughs> But you know you need the bold version of the face loaded, so I was like, it oh. adds a it adds a text to, it adds a text shadow. <laughs> <laughs> God, I probably could have done that. I mean, I I think I ended up picking a different way to highlight that text because I didn't want to load another font. But um, it was just funny. I I I'm really really loving this sort of exploratory, like uh, trying to stop saying, oh, you know, I'm not a designer, so that's why it looks like crap. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get away from that. I think it's a cop out. So, uh, you know, type is my first step because type is like, like, where isn't there type? Yeah. Yeah. Type is, type is a, a huge part of good design. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and bad design. <laughs> <laughs> That's true too. Yes. I kept myself to two fonts. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, just a quick, <coughs> quick note on that. I guess you can't really call that a bug. More of a, more of a brain bug. Yeah. Would you like to jump into the feature? Uh, we can we can jump into the feature. Excellent. Uh, this is one of those weeks that I'm super excited because I can sit back and just like soak in your knowledge. Uh, I'm hoping <laughs> you have a lot of questions because my knowledge is on this is is difficult for me to articulate. So yeah, yeah. this may end up sucking, and we have to record and re-record and do something different. But. Perhaps, but I don't think so. I think this is pretty I, okay. So so here's the thing. Um, Sticky albums is um, there's like kind of a, there's getting to be kind of a lot going on in terms of interfaces. There's marketing sites yes. and there's builders and there's albums and there's different kinds and there is a lot. There's, there's there's about to be multiple apps and yeah yeah. There's just a lot going on and there's no and and we had been doing automated testing on the back end side. Mm-hmm with RSpec and, and basically that was, that was basically going through the controllers and testing that all of the methods were working, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we used it, we used it a ton early on during the initial development of the, like the main features of the app, but the farther we got into it and it got to the point where most of what we're doing now is very minor things and, and interface changes that it was getting kind of, there wasn't really much benefit to all of the backend testing at this point. Right. Yeah. So we're not changing stuff. We're not getting regression bugs and it's, we're not adding tons of stuff back there. And the other thing that's going on is that they're like it, we're plugged into a lot of different services that we don't have control over. Yeah. So it's like MailChimp and Mandrill and Stripe and, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and a lot of, and like all of our billing now, um, all of our signups now happen, actually happen offsite. And then that data comes in and yeah. Yeah, it's wacky. So, and the and so basically, all the bugs we're getting are pretty much front end bugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we needed to come up with a new way, and, and it was basically impossible to test to like retest everything every week. And so we want to move to a continuous integration approach, but you need to have good automated testing in place to do that. Yeah. So Kelly came up with this 
stack of DSLs that, that uh, <laughs> yeah seems to yeah. <laughs> seems to get it done. Yeah, it's working really well, and um, we we still kept we still kept a lot of the a lot of the backend testing in there, and and actually I was able to build it out build it out more robustly using a couple of gems um, for for mocking Stripe calls, mm-hmm. so that I could have a. So we now have a, a more thorough and much more robust testing, automated testing of our billing system, which is super important and makes me very happy. So what? So what is that? It just basically stubs out Stripe and pretends yeah. to it impersonates yeah. the API. It pretends to be Stripe. Yeah. Fabulous. That is cool. What genius wrote that? <laughs> yeah, is that I, from Stripe? Uh, I don't think it's from Stripe. I, I I don't remember who the gem author is. We can look and link to it in the show notes. Yeah. It's uh, Stripe Ruby Mock is the name of the gem. Right on. That is awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Okay, cool. So so basically, this is such a weird thing for me to get my head around. So I'll try and help okay. you like work your way into it. Okay. The the front basi- end stuff. Yeah, basically, yeah, the front end stuff is basically. It's funny that it's front end because it's also headless. Yeah. So in case that doesn't make sense. I'll, I'll explain like my little bit that I do understand and we can kind of go from there. So okay. I was yesterday, I was like, how, like, what is going on here? So, so there's, there's RSpec and copy Capybara. Mm-hmm. I, I hate that name. And, um, Poltergeist, which I don't know what that is yet, but we'll it's get a, to that. It's a, yeah, we'll get into it. And then Phantom JS, which I am familiar with. And the, the concept is, so, so like, okay, so somehow Kelly's assembled those things on the back end and maybe we can get to that. And then, but then what you do is you write little tests that look like, um, uh, like what's the first line of a test that like, it's like, it's like describe editing an album. It renders the list of thumbnails kind of thing. Cool. So, so what you do, I'm going to totally butcher this, but just so you can understand dear listener, you write almost like a jQuery selector dot trigger the button. So you, you'd write a selector that picks a button and clicks it, but none of this is visible, but the test will do that. And somehow it waits for the, the action to complete. Somehow it knows mm-hmm. to wait for the Dom to update or whatever. And then you put in selectors after that for things that should be new in the Dom or gone from the Dom. And you say, okay, I just clicked that button, which should put me in a situation where I've got a modal dialogue in front of me that has an ID of this, which should not have existed a second ago. Yep. So you could check for that ID existing in the DOM. Oh, sure enough, it's there. So then you can kind of assume that the the dialogue is showing. And then you can do like a selector to the cancel button that should be in the dialogue and click it and then check and make sure that the dialogue went away. Yep. Is that more, that's more or less accurate. Yeah. And that is, that makes so much sense to me. Like, it just seems like, oh, I could just sit there and write tests like that all day. I kind of wish you could watch them, you know? Well, you can you can take a screenshot at any point in the process. Oh, right. Right. And now it's super useful for debugging. And that's what PhantomJS is doing, I assume. Uh, is, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all, all the tests are running. Like, PhantomJS is running and, and going through all the tests. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Poltergeist is the, is the driver, Copybara driver that lets... Um, like basically drives the let's let you like drive the whole test in Phantom JS. Okay, so you, so you write your tests in Copybara, and so what other? So obviously Copybara, there's other things. 
other ways you could take advantage of it. So it's a way to, to write tests, which you then would implement apparently in different ways. And this phantom JS way is just one of them. Yeah. Um, Capybara is the, it's an RSpec. Uh, it's a, it's a gem that works with RSpec to let you simulate um, front-end user interactions. And then Poltergeist is the, the JavaScript driver that lets you, lets you test. See, normally Capybara doesn't test. You have, to use, you have to use either Selenium or, or PhantomJS or something, what have you, in addition to that to test uh, JavaScript functionality. Oh, okay. That makes a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah, like Copybara will just let you navigate around the page and click on things and, and what have you. But for the JavaScript evaluation, you either need PhantomJS or, or Selenium with it. Gotcha. Okay. And I believe it has, I believe it, I believe it does like some basic Selenium stuff out of the box, but I don't. Um, but um, no, I, I ended up going with PhantomJS um, just because um, it, it will do additional things like let you do the screenshots, which is super useful for debugging. Mm-hmm. And it will let you like evaluate JavaScript from, from your application right there in your, in your RSpec tests. And you can also set breakpoints where it will just like stop and, and open a JavaScript console and in, oh, your, wow. in your terminal as you're running the test, and, and so you can do live debugging and that sort of thing. Inspect variables but, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done any of that. I haven't gotten into any of that, but I do know. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure how it all works. But mm. man, that's crazy cool. Yeah. So just to give people an idea, how many tests? So there's a like a long list of tests that you wrote mm-hmm. up, like say, maybe thirty or forty, or is that? Uh, I have 62 at the moment. Okay, and, so tons. But that's, that includes the back-end stuff. Yeah, so there's a, there's a fair number of tests. So how, how long does it take you, once you've got everything set up, how long does it take to write a test? To, how long does it take to write a test once you know what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, it just takes a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, so, so once, you, once you get everything set up and you get your head around it, it's really easy yeah, to I mean, the thing about te- tests. Yeah, I mean, the thing about testing is you want them to be like ex- very atomic anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have tests that range between some are four lines long, some are eight lines long. You know, they're 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 going to be small, small tests anyway, because you only want to each test wants to you want each test to be its own. Like, you don't want to test for multiple different things in a single test. You want right. to those out into their own thing. Right. That brings up another thing that I thought was really cool, which is that if you, let's say you want to test the ability to delete a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, you get you you need a photo first, and you don't in the delete test you don't want to write a whole big thing to create a photo first because now you're testing two things in one test really right. So isn't there like a before <clears throat> that can you call another test from or something or how does that work? Yeah, you can. There are before and after actions that you can call um, before and after tests, and you can either set it up to run. Like you have your you have your test broken up into multiple files here, and for instance, for instance, I have a test for my albums, um, for my for our for the album wizard mm-hmm. in uh, in sticky albums, and I can just say I can say okay, before you run all of these tests, create an album, mm-hmm. and and it will create one album and it will run all the tests in the file, or I can say before you before you run each test, create an album. Yep. So there's the difference between before all and before each there. I see. And so, so that, that create an album thing, is that a test unto itself that exists somewhere else? Or is that a, like a, a helper function that you put no, together? No, it's just, uh, it, it's, um, I actually use this factory girl to create the. Gotcha. Yeah, just like the back end stuff. Yeah. 
oh it, oh does it just do it on the back end yeah i see so it doesn't run through the front end stuff it just says in the back end it says okay make sure that there's an album right and then the inter- and then load the interface and like okay there there should be an album there now right i mean if i wanted to run through it on the front end i could but there's, no there's i like no that need. better yeah, yeah i like that better very cool yeah and then so i mean our entire testing stack is uh, we use we use many things because we have uh, we, we have to um, we have to handle log logins with device and and we have our, our factories and fake data. I mean, our entire testing stack is like it's a combination of like ten or twelve gems. But it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool, crazy. Huh? Um, and it, I, you know, I mean. I've been doing Rails testing. It's funny because I've been doing Rails testing for a while, but it's one of those things that like, there's always something I have to look up. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, I mean, like when you do this stuff, usually yeah. it's like you write it and then it, you just keep running them. You don't, you're not keep on, you don't keep on writing them. I mean, you add tests later, but like this whole setup process and everything is not something you're going to do on a daily basis. Right, right. Setting up the setting up the stack that you're testing with to begin with. Right. So. Presumably, the way that this would play out is that once the tests are all, this sort of test suite is done, then we could say, I don't know, use like like what? Does Capistrano then, we just like f- pump that into Capistrano and if all the tests run, then it deploys to staging or something? Or Yeah, we could either, we could either do that with um, like some deploy hooks or either some deploy hooks or some git commit hooks. Mm-hmm. Or we could use like a third-party service like Codeship or Travis CI or something like that. Yeah, Beanstalk, I think, also is. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm super happy about having these in place because they're going to help a lot with catching like little regression errors and regress little regression bugs mm-hmm. that affect the the front end and that sort of thing. Because I mean, obviously, you can't test for everything. Yeah, and you're not going to test in multiple browsers either. Yeah, and especially especially with an interface interface test, front end testing, you can't test for everything mm-hmm. because there's so many millions of different ways that um, that people can use use an app. Right. And uh, a lot of them are going to be things you you could not anticipate. <laughs> yeah, like because scr- people are weird. Like, well, I I won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Nate was mentioning the other day, he's like, oh, well, my scroll wheel is really sensitive, and it's like yeah. causing this to to clear yeah and i'm like well you're testing an interface that's only going to show up on a phone so you don't really have to worry about the scroll wheel but i get your point you yeah. know and like the like phantom js i'm sure is webkit right like yeah so there's you know there's there's still other you know other stuff that you're still going to get bug reports and you're still going to have uh, some qa but being able to get all the big stuff and make sure that screens are acting as they should that it's it's going to be a huge improvement. Yeah, yeah. So and there's um there's a good talk I watched before I got into this because I did a fair bit of research first going into it um to try and figure out what the best way to do a lot of these front end tests would be. Mm-hmm. And um, I came across a good talk and got some sample code to go with it, which was actually my my starting point for this mm. uh, front end uh, front end testing for skeptics. We can we can look to show notes. <laughs> I was going to ask, where can people go to to learn more about this and perhaps get into it? Yeah, that, so I found that one. It was it was a really good talk. So we can we can link to that. Do you think like when you go back to like the next time you go to write actual code, is having gone through the testing exercise? Do you think it will change the way you write the application itself, or did that all remain basically the same? 
I think it'll change the way I do some things on the front end in terms of um, IDs and class names for elements and that sort of stuff. Just kind of kind of keeping in mind ways to ways to um. I don't really want the test. I don't want the test to dictate the way I do the markup because that just seems very wrong. Yeah, but giving yourself some hooks. Yeah, yeah, but there's also you can be conscious of the way the way the testing framework works and sort of work within that that context to make sure that your your selectors are, are easy to select and, and elements are easier to find and that kind of thing mm. and, and make note of of when exactly when things should be visible and when they shouldn't and, and that sort of stuff. It's it's funny. <laughs> this is gonna this, this may come out wrong. I don't want the test to dictate how I build the application, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's not not like a knock against TDD or anything like that because I don't feel like that's what TDD does. Right. Um, I'm I just I don't want the test to shape. I don't want the test to shape the code. Yeah, it's a little um, too tail wagging the dog. Yeah, yeah, but I I do think it, it's definitely useful to be conscious of how the tests how the testing frameworks work and how they run. Yeah. Just to be aware of that when you are writing the code. Yeah. There's a give and take, I think. Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly just writing front end or even whatever, like writing something. um, Even if you're not going to automate the testing, there's a way to write either PHP or JavaScript, anything. There's a way to write things atomically. That's just way easier to test. um, Instead of like these long do everything functions. Yeah that you know go top to bottom it's two pages and you know there's there's like a way to break up your code atomically that i think is good regardless yeah i mean i i tried i tried initially when i when i started on um we've got a we've got two apps going right now for sticky albums and the new one i i put a lot more focus into that sort of atomic approach on the javascript than i than i did on the old one and man i really want to go back and redo this stuff in the old one now yeah, isn't that always the way? Yeah. Well, dear listener, testing is within your grasp now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so check out the show notes for links to all of those things. Uh, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs> out i was thinking yeah. i was like oh maybe i should say maybe i should say and if you like this show you can go to castbacker.com slash niche <laughs> to back us <laughs> i got distracted but you can still do that you can <laughs> and i was just waiting for you to say bye so i could because you know i know you always go first i can't really i can't i just can't do it the same every time yeah you know what I can't do? I can't do test-driven development. I'm all for I'm all for writing tests, but I can't do test-driven development. It sounds reasonable, and you know what it, it reminds me of? It reminds me of mm-hmm. when I was on the API first bandwagon. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, okay, but the pro- but you, you, it's never right because like every time we did that after we sort of got on that ticket, yeah, every API that we built that way ended up getting thrown out it, it did yeah it did because it's, it's good in theory but in reality it doesn't and you know what gets me about test-driven development it feels like you it feels like when you're writing the test first then you're spending 100 percent of your time debugging things and not building things because i mean you are building but you're building with the purpose of fixing failed tests so it just it feels like you're constantly like you oh, know this is broken i have to fix it not oh i get to build this cool thing yeah that's funny huh yeah and just from a 
from a from a programmer morale sort of standpoint, I just I I can't stand TDD for for that purpose. That's funny. I had the same reaction with um, the same reaction with progressive enhancement versus uh, failing gracefully or graceful degradation. Mm -hmm. Because if you if you're if you build like a whizzy bang interface for iPad, let's say you test it on iPad, you like like crazy. You're testing, testing, testing on iPad. And then you start testing at other places where it also has to run. Your whole life is like sweating bugs in other browsers and trying to figure yeah. out how to how to patch those. And you're putting polyfills all over the place. It's a horrible experience. Yeah. If you go the other way and you start with you know what we always advocate, which is just you know HTML, some simple CSS, and you, and you add in your layers. Yeah, you layer up from there. You say, hey, okay, um, now I'm going to put in some JavaScript, but only if the browser has query selector all and uh, whatever, you know, yeah. uh, CSS animations. Okay, great. If I've got both of those things, then I'm going to layer in this other stuff. And then you spend all of your time, all of your time is like building the cool stuff and you never have that like Yeah, you're horrible. not fixing the stuff that doesn't work in the more limited browsers. You're just enhancing the experience for the for the browsers that can. Yeah, so you spend all of your development time on the fun browsers instead of the other way around. And like whenever I hear someone tell me that they've tried responsive design and it's horrible and they hate it, it's impossible, it's because they did this. Where they started yeah. they started with like started with desktop and went to mobile. Right, because there's a million ways to write your markup and there's a million ways to write your CSS and there's a yeah. million ways to write your JavaScript. So if you if you have kind of painted yourself into a corner where you just assume all of these things are there and then you have to go around and like like I said patch or polyfill or turn stuff off it's brutal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the very first very first responsive site I did I started from the desktop and I worked backwards to mobile. Mm. It's painful. It is. It's painful, but it was the first one I had done and that's how the project was presented to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, everybody does like that. Yeah, and even when, even after the light bulb went on for me, I still caught myself falling into old habits and not testing mobile first. And it's it's you regret it every single time. You regret it. 